0: The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. We're excited to continue just walking through our study of the Gospel of Luke. If you were with us last week, you heard Jesus share two parables. And it was a very short passage, but in that he tried to describe what the kingdom of God was. And the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, those are interchangeable words, and they simply mean this, the rule and the reign of Jesus. It's, it's present now since he's come and he's died and rose again. It's present now, but it will be made complete when he returns and takes those who believe back to heaven. And so he explained just one small piece of what the kingdom of God was like last week. And because of that, there's a question that's asked. One of the hearers, as he continues to travel from town to town, goes, hey, I've got a logical question. You said, you said that the kingdom of God, it starts off really small and kind of inconsequential, but then it becomes very powerful. That, that's what you taught us. So, so here's my concern. Does that mean only a few people are going to get in? Does that mean that the kingdom itself is limited in its number? Does that mean that we need to make sure we're under the mark of of this number of people? Because if it's small and you want to keep it small, I want to make sure I get in. To me, that's a logical question. If it's small, how many people are apart? How many people get to make it in? And so the question is asked, and we see that in Luke chapter 13, verses 22 and 23. It says this, Jesus went through then towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. He's three months away from being in Jerusalem. So it's going to be a minute. He's in Perea. He's teaching in these towns. But he's on his way. His course is set. He knows he's heading to the cross. Verse 23, someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? I think that's a valid question. Have you ever paused, and if you haven't, I want you to do so now, I I literally want you to think, have you ever paused and just thought about the the sheer enormity of the number of people that should be in heaven? If you think about the whole world, the number of people who've existed throughout time, say even a small percentage of them are believers, that number of people that's, possibly going to be in heaven, it's, it's huge. But then there's this mentality that, hey, and, and we believe this because we want to have hope, like, I mean, really, shouldn't most people end up there? I mean, God's a God of mercy and a God of grace, so maybe that percentage is much higher. And I, I don't know if you're like me, but living in America, I, I just kind of brought, was brought up thinking everyone's a Christian and everyone goes to heaven. That's just how it works. But we've got a gentleman here asking a question, and he's asking it from a very specific perspective. He's a Jew, a child of God, promised all the way back with Abraham that, that God has something special for them. And he's wondering, hey, are we all in? Is everybody in? Who's in? Is, is it going to be a small number of people who make it to the wedding banquet, who make it to the celebration, who make it in to the kingdom of God. For those living in this region where Jesus is preaching, they believe that because they were born into the family, they were born into the covenant, they were born Jewish, they are in the wedding banquet. They're in just because of their last name. They believe that. And Jesus goes, hmm, it's a really good question. And I have an answer that you're probably not going to like. But I need you to know the truth. And so you ask, is it a small number or a big number? How many are going to be there? Luke chapter 13, verse 24. Jesus said to them, Make every effort, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Okay, if you're underlining or taking notes, we already have two things there. Make every effort, just one word in the Greek, Okay, it means to agonize. So there's a struggle, there's a need for effort there. Make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you many, will try to enter and will not be able to. A bunch of people, your neighbors and friends, are going to just walk up to the door to get into the wedding banquet The feast, get into heaven, they want to be there. They're going to walk up and they're going to think they're going to get in and they're going to be told no. And that response would have crushed many, many who were listening on that day. But we need to unpack it because Jesus' first word there in verse 24, make every effort. It's the word from which we get agonized. It's a word used to describe the extra effort that a person exerts when involved in athletic contests or in a fight. Now, I've said this from stage before. I've never been in a fight. One of my goals in life is to die and go meet Jesus without ever being hit in the face. That's one of my goals. Never been in a fight, but I have played sports, and I've had multiple coaches use terms similar to this. Leave it all on the field. Put it all on the court. And there are moments for anyone who's been in a battle, who's been in a competition, there are moments where you know, if I don't give it everything I've got right now, I'm going to lose. It's going to take everything for me to win this. Everyone who's ever been in that moment knows what that feels like. It's that agonizing moment where you go, I will not lose. I won't give up. And Jesus is saying, you should give that same effort. You should give that same effort as it pertains to entering into the kingdom of God. It should be something that you say, I won't lose at this. I'll do whatever it takes. I will leave it all on the field. Jesus is saying for those Jews, getting into the kingdom is not going to be as easy as you think. It's going to be tough. You're not promised a free pass. You don't get to just skip right in. Many will think they're in, only to find out they didn't want it bad enough. Now, we're speaking in the context of the first century here, so I want to make sure that we understand this. Jesus' teaching on salvation is so clear in the New Testament. It's so, so clear. Salvation is something that's unmerited, meaning we can't earn it. You can't do enough to receive it. It's unmerited. We have to know that. But it also isn't easy, meaning you have to want it. It requires effort and struggle and persistence. The door that Jesus refers to is narrow because he himself is the door. There's one way in, and he is it. And John, the gospel writer, he makes this more clear than anyone else. In John chapter 10, verse 9, he quotes Jesus as saying this, I am the gate. I I am the door. That narrow door, it's me. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and they will go out and they will find pastures. Jesus, eight times in the gospel of John, said, I am. I am the bread of life. I am the gate. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no broad highway into heaven. There is one very specific and narrow path in church that is having, saving faith in Jesus. So while it sounds like Jesus is answering this question of whether a few will get in or many, he's not answering it numerically. Seeing those who come through the correct door through saving faith with me, that they'll be in. Many of your neighbors think they're just gonna get in because they have their birthright, because they have a promise, because they've done the right thing. But Jesus continues in Luke chapter 13, verse 25. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door. You're going to stand outside knocking and pleading, saying, sir, open the door for us. But he'll answer you. I don't know you. I don't know where you come from. Now, the owner of the house in this metaphor is obviously God. And Jesus is the door. And once that door is closed, once that time has expired, there's going to be a lot of people going, oh, no. Oh, no, I, 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 th- I thought I had another way. I, I thought I had more time. This verse here can easily be misinterpreted because it sounds like people have to come to the correct door and they won't be let in because they didn't try hard enough. Because you see, I mean, they're at the door and they're not let in, but that's not what this is saying at all. It's not true at all what Jesus is saying. There's a specific amount of time that we all have. We don't know what that amount of time is, but there's a specific, specific amount of time we do have to repent and turn to God. And once that time has passed, no amount of pleading, no amount of course correction, life altering will matter. The ones who are left out are the ones who waited too long, who heard a message like today and said, I've got time. I've got time, I'll figure it out. We enter the kingdom not by our own good works or effort, but through relationship with Jesus. Did you notice? They were left out because they weren't known. They had no relationship with Jesus. Jesus takes this step further with his Jewish audience saying, I don't even know where you come from. I I don't know your family. Just being born a Jew will not be enough. The same same is true for many of us. And And I want to be very candid with you today. Just because you were baptized as a baby... You went through confirmation. You were at youth group every time the doors were open. I wrote this, down, I wrote this one down just, just for me, just to remind me, just because you're a pastor. It doesn't mean you're in. It's just like saying, well, because I was born a Jew, I, I, I get a free pass. No, being a pastor doesn't mean I'm in. What, what means I'm in? A relationship with Jesus knowing him and being known, walking in faith with him. That's what matters. You got to know him because he is the narrow path. He is the narrow path. But Jesus, Jesus, we did know you. We knew you. That That's the obvious response, and Jesus knows that. So he continues on now in verse 26 with what would be every person who was just shut out, what would be their response? We did know you, verse 26. Then you will say, We ate and we drank with you, and you taught in our streets. Here's what he's saying You're going to go, You were at some events with me, you were there. You even caught a few of my messages. You heard heard some of my words. But you didn't know me. And you're going to say, come on, let me in. Come on, I, I, I know of you. I know about you. Let me in. And he'll say, no, verse 27. But he'll reply, I don't know you or where you come from away from me, all you evildoers. You know of me, yes, but you don't know me. You never made a priority. Now you saw me from time to time. You might even know a few Bible verses. But you never took the time to have a relationship with me. So now the time's up. It's time for you to Go. I wasn't a priority then, so I'm not going to make you make me a priority now. The word there in verse 27, evildoers, that's a pretty awful translation, actually, of what Jesus said. It's not evildoers, it's more accurately, workers of unrighteousness. And you're going, that doesn't clarify anything. What does that mean, workers of unrighteousness? Well, what Jesus is saying is, you're not left out because you're evil. If that were the case, no one would get in, because we're all evil. We're all broken. We're all sinners. So it's not just whether you're good or evil. A worker of unrighteousness is someone who is unrighteous. Someone who has no righteousness. Now, we all are unrighteous. We all fall short of the glory of God, but there is one who is righteous, Jesus And so the evildoers, the workers of unrighteousness, are the ones who do not have saving faith in him. Away from me, you who do not know me, who do not have saving faith in me, who have not been made righteous because of your faith in me, because my righteousness has been imputed upon you by your faith. That's who gets told no. It's not because you weren't good enough. None of us are good enough. Just no righteousness was found in you. You have to have a relationship with him. And church, I don't think I need to say this, but Jesus will conclude. Being left out, being left out is a bad thing. You don't want to be left out of this wedding banquet. You don't want to be left out of heaven. Luke chapter 13, verse 28. For those left out, there will be weeping There'll be gnashing of teeth. Then you'll see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. They they made it in, but you yourself, you will be thrown out. Jesus goes step by step through what will happen in that moment when you realize you are left out. He said, first, you're going to weep. There will be tremendous sadness, you know now you should have done it differently. There will be mourning. There will be crying. It will be an ugly, sobbing cry as you are told no. It will then turn to gnashing of teeth. Now, this comment's used five times, the same phrase, weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's used five times by Jesus in the New Testament. Every time, it's talking about this moment, this moment where you are told you don't get in. There'll be weeping, it'll be gnashing of teeth. There's nothing cool in the Greek there. It literally just means to grind your teeth together. And some interpret this to mean the pain that will come, the physical pain and torment But those are for those who believe that being cast out comes with physical torture. And I just don't think that's God. I don't think it does. There's a couple times where this phrase is used, especially in the book of Acts, where it refers to anger. And and I think that's exactly why there will be weeping and then gnashing of teeth. Have you ever been so mad at yourself, you growled? After you're done crying, you're going to get really angry at yourself. It could be misguided. It could be, why didn't my parents talk to me more about this? Why, why didn't my friends let me know? Why, why, why didn't God give me a warning? It could, you could misguidedly start to blame others, but you're going to have eternity to realize how angry you are at yourself. I knew better. I was certain I had more time. I was positive that I could get this figured out. I, oh, but I'm just so mad at myself. I can't believe I did that. And then, if that's not enough, then comes the loneliness. You've wept over being left out. You've become angry at yourself for not repenting and turning to God when you had a chance. And then you realize you have been thrown out. You're alone. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the prophets, they're in. And it's almost like Jesus is speaking of a metaphor that you can look through the window and see them in there celebrating and smiling. And I I don't think that's the case but you can imagine it and know you're missing out because you are now separated from God for eternity. In his infinite love, he gave you what you desired on this earth. Distance from him. He gave you that and, and we call that hell I don't think hell is necessarily even a physical place. It's the absence of God. The Bible refers to it as darkness where you spend eternity realizing what you're missing out on. That's an awful thought. And that final banishment, knowing that it was your choice, Jesus is trying to get us all to understand we don't we don't want that we don't want that outcome being left out really bad but he gives us the key he gives us the key to getting in it's him he's the narrow door And then coming full circle back to the initial question, how, how many are going to be in? Is it a big number or is it a little number? He doesn't answer it, once again, numerically, but he does answer it. Luke chapter 13, verses 29 through 30. People will come from the east and the west and the north and the south. It's just a really beautiful way of saying, from everywhere, from every corner of the earth. There's not one type of people that are going to get in. There's not one group of people. People from all over the earth will be there. They'll take their place at the feast in the kingdom of God. And then he goes on to say, but you know what? Some of the people that you thought were going to be there probably aren't going to be, and some of the people that you thought were not going to be there probably will. Verse 30. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first, and first who will be last. Some of those present in the kingdom of God will be the least of these here on this earth. They're going to be prominent in the kingdom of God. Their lackluster life here, their suffering and hardship here will be met with reward, prominence. And then there'll be some who were big stuff here on this earth and in the kingdom. They're still in, they get in, They may not be the top dogs. So how many are going to get in? Jesus doesn't answer. I don't think it's because he doesn't know. He doesn't answer because it's not important. Those who get in will be the ones who know him. Who had saving faith in him. Because there are no shortcuts, church. There's one way into the kingdom of God. It's a very narrow path and one that too many will come to realize when it's far too late, they should have taken. You don't get to rest on your laurels, your moments spent with Jesus, your back pocket factoids that let you claim to be a Christian just when it serves you well. Instead, you rest fully in the work of the person of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world and the only way to heaven. You need to know him, love him, trust him, live your life with and for him. And then, and then after doing that, there will be this moment where you walk up to him and he holds the door open for you and he says come in and he calls you by name I think you get to wrap your arms around him and hug him because he knows you and you knew him and he's that narrow path into the kingdom of God he's that narrow path into heaven and that moment will be so so good Church, do you need to repent of your selfish ways and turn to God? If you do, the good news is there's still time. Like You're listening to this. You, you, you have time to make that decision. Do you need to renounce your prideful self-righteousness and embrace the one who is truly righteous? You can, you can hang your hat on a bunch of stuff that you do, but then you're hanging your hat on the wrong things. You need to put your trust and your hope in the one who is righteous. Do you know that you know that you know that on that day you will be invited in? Is that you? Is there such confidence in you? Because you just know Jesus. You walk with him and talk with him. If that's not you, it's not too late. At least for now. It's not too late to make that true. Who do you know that needs to hear this message? Who do you know that's just living life, doing their thing because things are going well for them, but there will come a moment when they stand at that door and Jesus looks at them and goes, I don't know you. Get away from Who do you know that needs to hear this message so that they do not then weep and gnash their teeth and live eternity separate from God? Who do you know that needs to hear that message? Would you share that with them? We need to let everyone know before it's too late that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through relationship with him. Church, today... I pray that you know him. That you put your faith and your trust in him. That that day does not scare you because you know your seat is secure at the table. Secured not by who you are, what you've done, but because of the work of Jesus Christ and your faith in him. And if that's not where you're at, I pray that you would repent today, that you would turn to him, that you would trust him with your life and you do so before it's too late. Father, as we conclude today, we pray that you would cry out our names as you know us all as your beloved creation. You would cry out our names with your grace and mercy. You would call us into relationship with you. You would give us all that we need, strength and grace sufficient to walk with you, to believe in you, to trust in you. And I pray that today you would be glorified by those who choose you, who turn to you. God, come and do as you will amongst us, within our communities, within our church. We wanna know you, we wanna serve you, we wanna love you. We know that you're for us. So come and pour out your love. It's in your name we pray, amen.